inserted into my notes today is a picture of my chart. But not the whole chart because I'm not teaching on all of it. Now it's just the part of it. I'm always trying to figure out how to motivate people to do the things they're supposed to do. I have lived long enough to find out that everybody is motivated to do whatever they want to do. But the key is to find out how to motivate people to do what God wants them to do. So I find out, well, some of the things that helps me is, and so that's what I teach. And one of the things that helps me to stay motivated is the second coming of Jesus Christ in the air for me, known as the rapture. So I want to cover that once again because there's some reasons why. So I want to start off with you um, taking your Bible and turning to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because you see, when we talk about the things that we ought to do for the Lord after we've trusted Christ as Savior, there's sometimes there's got to be a motive behind why we do what we do. And if you look there in verse 3, it says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Now, these three things are very important in a Christian's life. And the reason is because, you see, we don't live here forever. We only have a short period of time, and then we're going to check out of here. We're going to fly away. And that's mentioned in the book of the 90th Psalm. And we shall fly away. Regardless of how long we live, we're going to leave these bodies one day. Now, I want you to look there in verse 10. In the meantime, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, the wrath to come, we generally put that into that seven-year tribulation period up on the earth. Now, if you'll look there at your chart, you'll notice that from the cross, the very next thing is what we call the church age. The day of grace, that's where we are. It's the body age. The church made up of Jews and Gentiles from Pentecost until the rapture. That's a specific period of time that we live. That's where we are. So there is a beginning and there is an ending to it. Well, the next thing to happen is what we call the rapture. And you'll notice there's a big old red arrow going up into the air. And it has a blue line it points up to it. Now, that blue line, look at the bottom part of it, talk about the rapture. This is the first phase of the second coming. Generally, we could always say the second coming is when he comes at the end of the tribulation period, and that's the second coming. And the rapture is when he comes for you and I seven years before that. However you want to label it, this is what I mean. And you'll notice right after that is on your chart, seven-year tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation period is the 70th week of Daniel. And the 69th week ended when Christ was cut off. The seven years was shoved out there into the future. And it's for one week, not three and a half weeks, 
Well, three and a half years, it's for seven years. So that period of time cannot be reduced unless God just reduces it by maybe some days, and that's another sermon. So the tribulation period is the wrath to come. It talks about the wrath of the devil is going to pour out his wrath of the Antichrist, the last world government. There is the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. This seven years is not for any of us. We have not been appointed to this day of wrath. We are to be looking for the Son who has delivered us from the wrath to come. So while we're waiting on the Lord to come back, it says that this uh, is a very important teaching because of what it does for us. So now I want you to look there in First Thessalonians. And you'll notice in chapter 2 and verse 19. Verse 19 says, for what is our hope? Remember, one of those things that he mentioned was the patience of hope. We patiently are waiting for this joyful anticipation. We call it the blessed hope. Remember, we're talking about looking for something to happen. And we live every day expecting this miracle to take place. This mystery that was not known in time past, but now it has been revealed through the Apostle Paul to the church that we're to be looking for something spectacular that's going to take place. I do hope that it'll happen in my lifetime. But if the Lord doesn't hurry up, my lifetime is not going to be able to be around very much longer. And I think you know what I mean. But now notice what it said in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, see those three words, at his coming. So we're believing that the Lord is going to come back. But the Bible also states that many had already passed away. Many people have already died in the Lord. And he hadn't come back, but many had died. When he talks about it in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, when he's talking about these um, witnesses and so forth, he says, of over 500, and many remain until this day. Which also, another way of saying, a lot of them have already died. A lot of the witnesses that actually saw Christ when he was here have passed away. So he didn't come back in their lifetime, but it says we're to keep looking, believing, and with patience of hope that it could happen at any time. So I get excited about that. Now look in chapter 3 and verse 13. Verse 13 says, To the end he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. See, when he comes, everyone who has already passed away, have already died, are going to come back with him, and we will see them and be caught up to meet them in the air. And that's explained there in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. But now I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of um, Titus and chapter 2. The book of Titus, chapter 2. Now you get your T's all together. You know, your Thessalonians and Timothys and then Titus. And Titus and in chapter 2. While we are waiting on the Lord to come back, 
we are to remember that this is a great motivating factor in the Christian's life. Because, see, if I really believe the Lord could come back at any time and you fall in love with the appearing of Jesus Christ, it's one of the greatest motivators you'll ever find to keep you pure while you're waiting. In other words, to stay on the ball, to keep serving God, not to take your eyes off the Lord. So look in verse 12 of the book of Titus in chapter 2. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Any way you want to cut it, that tells you how you and I are supposed to live after we've trusted Christ as our Savior. It is not the will of God that His children live an ungodly life. We're to live a godly in this present world while we're here. He hasn't taken us home yet, and we always say if you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. And if you're not dead, you've got a reason for living. Look at that one more time. To live soberly, that means of a sound mind. A sound mind comes because of sound doctrine, and sound doctrine comes from sound words. And sound words comes from the Word of God, learning the basic Bible doctrines that are found in the Scriptures. And then notice what he says in verse 13. While we're waiting, doing all this godly living that we're supposed to live in this present world, then he says there in verse 13, looking for the great tribulation. No. Looking for the wrath to come. No, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you and I are supposed to live today expecting Jesus to come. You say, well, what if he don't come? Then I'll look for him tomorrow. Or what if he don't come then? Well, I'll look for him the next day. I've already been looking for him for 58 years. You say, well, that means he doesn't keep his promise. Not as some men count slackness. You say, but God keeps his word. And he wants us to live our life believing that he would come back at any moment. And there's a reason why. So turn in your Bible to the book of 1 John in chapter 3. 1 John in chapter 3. Interesting little verse here. 1 John chapter 3. And look at verse 1. This is how God describes you and I after we've trusted Christ as our Savior. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I am a child of God because of the love of God. Even when I went astray, when I was lost, and we have all sinned, God loved us. And his love is manifested toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he loved us. So he has bestowed his love upon us that we should, when we believe that he did it for us, we are loved of God. That's why he says you are a beloved. You have allowed God to love you. You see, some people reject Christ, reject God, and when you do that, you're rejecting love. And you'll never know love like the love of God. There is no love like the love of God. And if you don't know God, you'll never know love the way God intends it. 
You say, I love my wife and I love my children. You can do all of that, but it's not the same kind of love. There is a divine love, a godly love. And when you can allow God to love you, then you can learn how to really love others. And if you don't, you won't. You can't have it. Because there is a love that God wants to give to you that flows from you, through you, to others. And the greatest love you can ever have for anyone else is to tell them about the love of God. If people don't tell you about the love of God, is it because they don't know the love of God? But there is no greater love. So now notice what he says here in verse 1. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, you see that word now, now, now. Now are we the sons of God. See, I'm not going to be a child of God someday. I already am a child of God. See, the reason I'm not trying to work my way to heaven because I'm already going to heaven. The way he's already been paid. I am not trying to be justified because I already am justified. Now, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The day is coming when all of us are going to see the Lord. Isn't it amazing that we have fallen in love with someone we've never seen? But we've met him through the pages of the word of God. And we know that he loves us. And he's also told us how to live in this present ungodly world. And so because of that, he says, now one of the things that I want you to keep doing, I want you to keep looking, looking for that blessed hope. You're waiting patiently for it. The Lord may come back today, and he may come tomorrow. So I live every day believing he could come back at any moment, but I still plan my life as though he may not come back for 100 years. I'd like I to teach the college kids to pray. Pray like it all depends on God. And then work like it all depends on you. And you'd be surprised how many of your prayers will be answered because God will fulfill them through you. But anyway, look at verse 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And every man, get this, every man, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. In other words, this Hope of Christ could come back at any time. This joyful anticipation of the soon coming of Christ in the air is what causes a person to want to live a holy, godly life. And you want to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, I want you to take your Bible before we turn out of this year. I want you to look in chapter 2 and verse 28. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, where he makes a statement, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, you'll notice that these words are used as appear, 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 appear. You see, when he comes at the end of the tribulation period, he doesn't just appear. They see him coming from afar, from outer space, and they will see him coming. When the rapture takes place, the Bible says we will disappear here 
and appear at the judgment seat of Christ. So he's going to appear, we're going to disappear, and then we're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. So there is a difference between everybody in the world seeing him coming and then all of a sudden for him to appear. And that's what we're looking for. Now, look there in your notes. And you'll notice that I um, put in the yellow highlight the two words that make a difference. The rapture and the revelation. Whenever you're reading the scriptures and it talks about being in power, great glory, revealed, every eye see it, that's generally referring to the end of the tribulation period when Christ comes to the earth, sets up his kingdom. We're not to look for that because we're not going to be in the tribulation period. We're not going to be here during this time of wrath. Now, look up here just for a second, and I just want to diagram the chart up here. You see, from here over, that's the church age. Right here, that's the rapture. This is the tribulation period. I am in the middle of the tribulation period, and in the midst of this 70th week, the Bible says the Antichrist will be in the midst, and he will claim to be God himself. And this year period of time, the first three and a half years, called the time of sorrows, even mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, and then the great wrath upon the earth, because the Antichrist is going to come. But this is for the seven years. And then there's the, another period of time called the millennium, which is a thousand years long. So there is a, a day, the church, there is a night, and there is a day. Now what separates these two days is a night. You know, that's why we have it now. You know, there was yesterday, and there was today, and then there was last night. You say, was that taught in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, you'll know there's a truth that has not been revealed in the Old Testament. There are types, but the truth about the body of Christ was not revealed in the Old Testament. Where the Jew and the Gentile... Both believers form one body. That truth was a mystery. A truth that has been hidden in time past, but now revealed for the first time. And God used Paul to reveal that truth. But here is another mystery. You see there in chapter 15, and look in verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. In other words, this is the first revelation of this great truth. We shall not all sleep. That means all of us in the church age, we're not all going to physically, we're not all going to die. We are going to have a group of people that will be living when Christ appears. And when he appears, those people that are alive at that time, that have trusted Christ as Savior, 
will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But we're going to leave here and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. This is why this is not when Christ comes to the earth at the end of the tribulation period because that would make us have to go into the day of wrath and we're not going there. He has not appointed us to this wrath. He's going to deliver us. So we are patiently looking and waiting for this blessed hope that one day it will happen. And I'd like to have it happen in my lifetime. Wouldn't you? Now, I want you to look there in verse 2, where it says, And we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's the sign that we put over our nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be Anyway, look in verse 52. I don't want to explain that any further than that. By the way, for y'all that don't know, we are becoming a very good church. Every Sunday morning now, we've got about 10, 15, 20 ducks that line up right outside of the front door. And whenever they start playing the music in here, here comes the ducks. And that's not a joke. When they start the music, the ducks all gather, and they gather at the front door, and they listen to the music. And so that's fine. That's fine. But when they start anointing the sidewalk, <laughs> me and Carl this morning had to get a hose and uh, wash all their sins away. But you'll often hear, like, you got to get your ducks in a row. These ducks were not in a row. They were gathered together. And those are holy ducks. But anyway, this is something that is going to take place. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, get this, at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. You see, those who have already died, their bodies are corrupted, they're in the grave. But to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. So the Lord says that when he comes back, he's going to bring them with him. And those bodies that are in the graves are going to come out of the graves. But there'll be a glorified body. Now Jesus was able to have a body that he could be seen and not seen. I don't care if anybody sees my body or not. I just, like this one guy, <laughs> he died on his way to heaven. I ain't got no body. Well, anyway. I want to have a body. I just don't want to run around naked. The Bible says if you know without a body, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but who wants to run around naked? I don't. I want to have me a body. Now, he makes this statement. We're going to be changed and so those that are alive are going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, in a lickety split, he will appear, will be changed, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And God says that now that can happen at any moment. So we believe that. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, many of the notes that I have here, you can read those. And some of these were done by Dr. Hank Lindstrom, but I wanted to outline it a little bit better and uh, put on there the chart so you could relate to it and uh, put it in a little bit better format. But look there in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Look in verse 13. Verse 13. 
But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. And the reason he says that is because there are just so many ignorant brethren. People that do not know. So he's talking to people in Thessalonians that he had been there about three weeks and taught them all the major doctrines. It's amazing what he taught in just a short period of time. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. That's those Christians who have already died. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. You see, our hope is that we know, and that's not a, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. No. It's a joyful anticipation that this is true because it depends upon what God said. So he says that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. In other words, when we lose a loved one, we sorrow, but we don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope at all. We know we'll see our loved ones again. In verse 14, for if we believe... And keep the Ten Commandments and go to Calvary Community Church and pay 50%. Is that in your Bible? Eh, it should be. No, it's not in the Bible. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? So he can't bring them with him if they're not with him. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So whenever I die, I'm not in my body. Death means I've left my body. And this body can go to the grave and the worms can eat it and then they'll die. But don't worry about the body. Don't worry about how is God going to get that body back. I mean, what if I was over there in Africa and next thing you know I fell into the lake and, and 15 alligators devoured me. Now where's my body? So when the Lord comes back, 15 alligators are going to lose some part. A seed was planted, another one can come back. Don't worry about how God can do it. If God can create the heavens and the earth out of nothing, he don't have a problem. And I don't either because I don't have to do the job. Now, if it was my responsibility, I'd have a problem. And verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of Yankee, uh, word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall be caught up to meet them in the clouds. Where are we going to meet them? In the clouds. See, not coming to the earth. When he comes to the earth, that's a different time. That's a different coming to the earth. That's when he comes in power and great glory because of the wrath of God and the battle of Armageddon and all the nations of the earth be gathered together. Now see, here's the rapture. That's when you and I are taken out of this world. Then the tribulation period. And then Christ comes back to the earth in power and great glory and he's going to bring us with him. That's because he came for his saints. Then he's going to come with his saints to the earth. And he's going to set up this new kingdom upon the earth for a thousand years. Then after that, yes, all kind of things happen and be a new heavens and a new earth. But God has laid these things out for us.